thanks so much for having me. It's a great honor to be here in such distinguished company. Um, so this is a book about fungi and, and the subtitle of the book is called How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds and Shape Our Futures. And so I really try to do what I say on the tin and, and it's obviously a big, um, it's a big challenge and this is a big subject and, and there are so many ways to think and talk about fungi. So I just want to take a, a, a fairly personal route through the subject tonight. So fungi are a, a kingdom of life. Uh, that's as broad and busy a category as animals or plants. And when we think of fungi, we normally think of mushrooms, but mushrooms are just the fruiting bodies of fungi, analogous to the apples on a tree. And most fungi live most of their lives as branching, fusing networks of cells known as mycelium. So mycelium is a strange way of life. Uh, it's a generic term, a bit like the term tree. There are many different ways to be a tree and many different trees look very different from each other, even though they're all engaged in a similar project, uh, which is suspending their leaves in such a way as uh, to catch sunlight and conduct photosynthesis. Fungi um, in their mycelial state, they're about feeding. So they, they pour themselves into their environments in these ramifying branching networks. And these networks can behave in really astonishing ways that challenge our animal imaginations. You know, one network confused with another network to form a much larger network, a confounding idea of an individual uh, when we're talking about fungi. You can take a fragment of one fungal network and it can turn and regenerate into an entire new network. And this can go on uh, and given the right conditions forever. So uh, mycelium is potentially immortal. These mycelial networks, these long cells uh, that make up these networks can conduct electrical impulses analogous to those that travel in our own nerve cells, uh, which we call action potentials. These networks can navigate labyrinths, uh, which are rather, rather like slime molds. You may have heard of slime molds. They're the poster organism for network problem solving. They're in the type of amoeba and they, um, they're made up of lots of cells which come together to form a, a kind of super cell. And these cells with those tentacle-like um, limbs explore their environments and um, can, can, they can achieve very amazing feats. There's a famous experiment done by Japanese researchers where they used uh, oats to mark urban centers in the Tokyo area and unleashed a slime mold. And in a matter of hours, the slime molds had recreated a network that looked eerily similar to the Tokyo subway network. I have a friend who keeps slime molds as a stable of slime molds and he, uh, he told me this story where he, was, he would always get lost in Ikea stores, his local Ikea store. He couldn't find his way out without asking someone for help. Um, so he sought to challenge his slime molds with the same problem. So he made a, a perfect one-to-one -one replica of the Ikea store and, and um, as a maze for his slime molds and he released the slime molds into this maze and with just a few hours, they'd found their way to the exit, find the shortest path to the exit. So he would tell me the story and laugh and say, look, they're smarter than me. And it's true that these network-based organisms raise a lot of questions about the way that organisms can adapt, solve problems and make decisions between alternative courses of action. So mycelial networks can be tiny ephemeral puffs that live on little specks of dust, or they can range over kilometers. In fact, the largest organism in the world, or one of them, is a mycelial network in a forest in Oregon uh, that sprawls over 10 square kilometers and is somewhere between two and 8,000 years old. 
So mycelium is a kind of ecological connective tissue. In school classrooms, you often have those anatomical charts on the wall and you have the human body as a network of blood vessels, the human body as a network of uh, nerves, uh, of lymph, a skeleton. And if we could draw equivalent charts of ecosystems, one of those charts would depict the mycelium that perfused the ecosystem. And you'd see sprawling interlaced webs through the soil, through animal and plant bodies, both alive and dead, through coral reefs, through sulfurous sediments on the floor of the ocean, through floorboards and rubbish dumps, through the canvases of old master paintings hanging in museums. If you take the mycelium in a teaspoon of soil and stretch it out, it can be anywhere between 100 meters and 10 kilometers long. So this really is the living seam by which much of life is stitched into relation. And I always think about them, these fungal networks as embodying the most basic principle of ecology, which is the relationships between organisms. Often relationships don't manifest themselves in enduring physical connections, but fungal relationships do. So they make real, they make literal this basic principle of ecology and make it harder for us to forget that we're bound up always within shimmering um, dynamic interactions with other humans and other organisms and the environments that sustain us in which we also contribute towards making. So in many ways, fungi make questions of our concepts and have loosened over, my, over the time I've been thinking about them, they've loosened the grip of my expectations about how the world works. And this is one of the ways that I, one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by these organisms. And so I, um, I went to study these organisms in Panama at Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute. And I went to look at investigate these symbiotic fungi that form relationships with plant roots. Uh, these are the fungi that form what is affectionately known as the wood wide web. So I went to this research institute, which is a, a really amazing place because it's filled with researchers, very brave researchers conducting quite unusual um, research programs. Uh, some were studying the way that beetles navigated using the stars. Some were following the monkeys all day and trying to collect their urine in a funnel uh, to measure how much alcohol they'd been consuming by eating overripe fruit to test the so-called drunken monkey hypothesis. Um, others were trying to work out what happened to trees when they were struck by lightning. Others were studying the swimming behavior of ants. And what united all of these researchers and why it was quite an amazing place to be is that in the lab, the lab biologists often are, they're in charge of the fragments of life they study. The fragments of life they study are within the flasks and tubes on their desk. But these field biologists, uh, myself included, we were within the flask. The forest was the flask and we were inside it. And so it was very hard to pretend that we were in charge, you know, because of course we weren't in charge. Trees would fall on your plots, sloths would die where you tried to measure nutrients in the soil. Uh, humility quickly set in. And in my time there, uh, there was a conference, a conference of people who were studying these uh, microbial relationships, all different sorts of microbial relationships going on in the, in the very busy forest there. And someone got up to talk about a type of plant. And they said that we know this type of plant uh, by this certain type of chemical that it produces in its leaves. But it turns out that it's a fungus that lives in its leaves that produces these chemicals. And so in the audience, we had to redraw our understanding of what this plant was because one of its key diagnostic features turned out to be produced not by itself, but by one of its intimate uh, symbionts, 
And then someone next to me is like, I think it's the bacteria living inside the fungus, living inside the plant. And then someone else is like, I think it's the virus inside the bacteria, living inside the fungus, inside the plant. And this is the kind of story that would keep happening and keep unfolding. And our perspectives would slip and slide around uh, as we continually drew and redrew the boundaries of the individual. And this was really the context of my study. And I was studying these, these fungi that form symbiotic relationships between, with plants and with plant roots. And this is a very ancient relationship. 500 million years ago or so, before the ancestors of plants, these freshwater algae, had moved onto the land. Land was scorched and desolate and barren, but there were fungi around. Uh, fungi are experts at foraging in complex environments in the cluttered obstacle course of the soil. And so when the early algae washed up, the earliest ancestors of plants started washing up on the soggy shores of lakes and rivers, uh, they were used to uh, floating in a nutrient broth in the, in the water. And so suddenly they're confronted with a new uh, suite of challenges. And in this earliest moments of life on land, they struck up relationships with fungi. And these fungi, uh, their part of the deal was that they would explore and forage the solid ground. They would supply minerals to the plant and water to the plant. And the plant would do what it does, its foundational superpower, which is eating light and exchanging the sugars that it produced in photosynthesis with its fungal partners. And so for 50 million years or so, uh, these fungi were the root systems of plants. So plant roots followed fungi into being. And to this day, almost all plants form relationships with these fungi and their roots, which play a very similar role to the role that they have always played. Uh, they nourish plants and plants nourish these fungi in return. And, um, and what we call plants are in fact, when you think about it in this a big evolutionary frame, um, plants are algae that have evolved to farm fungi and fungi that have evolved to farm algae. Um, and so just going to show you a video of a laser scan of a plant root that I made um, to give you an idea of quite how intimate this relationship is. So the plant material is in blue and the fungus is in red. Biosis is the fungus is restricted to certain parts of the root and um, their relationship is intricately managed. The way that they exchange nutrients with each other, uh, the way that each can um, regulate its behavior in case one of the other, its other partners start to um, take more than they give. Um, this is the journey into the root. This was amazing when I was making these scans, I didn't think it was even possible. I tried for so long to imagine what it was like inside a root. And so to be able to travel around in a root like this has been, um, no, it's, it's a great thrill. So I'm pleased to be able to share it. Of course, it's not bright red and neon colors. These are false colors that we add separately later. But this gives you an idea of, of what's taking place here. Um, of course, it's a static picture. These relationships are ongoing. They're formed and reformed uh, as circumstances change. And so when we imagined an ecosystem, when we think about a forest, um, the way that we think about forests change because, at least in my experience, it changes. Because when we, we can't just think about plants as neat individuals um, locked in a struggle uh, and competitive, competitive struggle for resources. Because these plants have fungi in their roots which lace out into the soil and those fungi are promiscuous and can entangle with the roots of more than one plant. And plants themselves are also promiscuous and so they can entangle with the 
in more than one type of fungal network. And so you can end up with these large shared overlapping networks. And this is what was known as the World Wide Web. Um, it's an affectionate term, it's a kind of nickname, uh, but it does a good job of explaining um, a little bit of what's going on because really it is the case that plants are socially networked by fungi. Um, I always try to imagine the bewilderment of an extraterrestrial anthropologist who'd spent decades studying humanity and found out only yesterday that we had something called the internet. And it really is something like this for contemporary ecologists. So this is just one aspect of fungal life which is expanding the way that we understand the natural world. Um, that is changing the way that we think about the ecosystems in which we live and the ecosystems that sustain us. Um, but that's just one example. Fungi play many roles in human life and have done uh, for much longer than humans, uh, well, for as long as humans have existed. And they've um, played many roles in the progenitors to humans long before humans existed. And um, agriculture is a big one um, because you can see agriculture in some way as a cultural response to yeast. When humans gave up their hunter-gatherer lifestyles to settle and um, they fed yeasts, whether in bread or as beer, uh, before they fed themselves. So whether the bread before beer hypothesis is correct or the beer before bread hypothesis is correct and the beer before bread is gaining traction among scholars, uh, yeasts were the prime beneficiaries of human uh, agricultural settlement. So but alcohol is just one of the drugs that fungi produces. There's penicillin, which changed the course of modern medicine, of course. There, is, there are statins, the cholesterol-lowering statins. There's cyclosporin, which makes organ transplants possible. It's an immunosuppressant. And there are antiviral drugs that promise to treat colony collapse disorder in honeybees. Amazing work by the mycologist Paul Stamets in America. He's found that treat, using certain fungal extracts, he can prolong the lives of uh, bee colonies and maybe in the future help to avert one of the great pressing threats uh, to humanity. Uh, fungi can change our minds. The history of psychedelics hinges on prodigious fungal metabolisms. LSD was first isolated from a fungus and psilocybin is, uh, is produced by um, so-called magic mushrooms. And these drugs are helping to change the way that we understand the very nature of mind as well as providing astonishing cures for a range uh, of, of recalcitrant problems. Um, from treatment-resistant depression um, to a crippling anxiety. And there are new technologies. There are new fungal technologies, new architectural materials. Adele, the computer company, are shipping uh, thousands of servers a year in fungal packaging, which decomposes after it's used and which can be grown in a matter of weeks on agricultural waste. IKEA, uh, soon to follow, with a new line of mycelial packaging. Um, these, uh, there's a mycelial leathers, which uh, really uh, uh, promise to transform the fashion industry. All of these fungal materials uh, promise helpfully to disrupt polluting industries. And there are other ways that fungi can, um, can help us deal with some of the problems that we face. And fungi have amazing appetites. They uh, can digest things that we think of as pollutants like uh, plastic or a crude oil amongst many other things. And so promise in helping us to reimagine our philosophies of waste. They are the great decomposers after all. Uh, and the earth would be piled kilometers deep in the bodies of animals and plants if they weren't there uh, decomposing away. So not only does thinking about fungi make the world look different, but these astonishing organisms make key allies for humans at this time as we look towards the future of life on a damaged planet. Thank you. <laughs>